Welcome, everyone, to the Weird World Podcast. I'm your host, Dean. These guys hate when I say that. I'm Emma. I'm Carrie. Carrie is going to lead today. She has an interesting tale from history. I love history. But an an intriguing, somewhat weird part of history. I would hope so. Certainly something that I think folks will be surprised on in terms of the timeline. Okay. Don't you think? Sure. Okay. Well, we're going to start at the turn of the century. Which century? Yeah, Carrie. The 20th. We thought it was the 15th. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I should have said the turn of the 20th century. From the 19th to the 20th. Correct. American people. This is going to be very American centric. Oh, (laughs) God. I hate America. So ethnocentric, Carrie. Well, Americans were captivated by the romance and pseudo scientific. Um, ideas about Native Americans. Oh. They Were thought, they? now that we've wiped them out, let's feel good about let's, them for a short time. Let's explore their culture. Mm-hmm. Well, their their ideas of their culture. Yeah. So, because of this, you know, we, they, not we, I wasn't alive. <laughs> <laughs> We're kind of fascinated by them. And so they ended up kind of f- forcing them into the entertainment industry mm. in the United States. Between 1880 and 1930, there were over 25,000 Native Americans who were basically, quote-unquote, uncivilized savages oh my God. in show business in both the United States and Europe. Uh-huh. How many? Uh, 25,000. Wow. We had traveling shows, circuses, and even like at World's Fairs, they would have like human zoos. Oh. Yeah, we're going to save that for another episode. The, yeah, human we zoos. We've got to do that. It's, yeah. a, it's a horrific part of our not too far long ago not history. Not long ago at all. Yeah. Well, they would like dress them up in like their traditional costumes or what they thought was what Indians would have looked like. Yeah. And they're basically put on display and they would make like fake sets that was supposed to like look like a native village or something. And they would require them to perform or act like scientific subjects of live studies of racial differences. Oh my God. Trust me, you wore a loincloth and a feather in your hat. Uh And that's no, we never, what shut the hell up. Here's your five (laughs) bucks for the week. But again, that's a whole nother podcast topic. Yes. But this is what's going on. And this is, I mean, what the attitudes toward native Americans was at the time. So our story is going to start in 1911 in California. But but <gasps> critically is that by you know by the end of the really the lat- end of the 19th century there virtually were no more Native Americans who really lived in their original way of living. Virtually, they're, they're, yeah. I mean, that's For the, the key. Most they had part, been yes. completely either wiped out, sent mm-hmm. to reservations. Or killed. Or, yeah, well, yeah, that was the wiped out part. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> My very next sentence. Yeah. Oh, sorry about that. And I'll probably say Indians and <gasps> Native Americans. I wish you wouldn't. Just because at the time, but Native Americans. I mean, they... Indigenous people. They were called Indians, yeah. If she says Indians, she means the Cleveland Indians, which are, <laughs> who are no longer the Cleveland Indians even, so... Good. So essentially, okay, 1911, California, by this time... Native Americans have been forced either to relocate to reservations Mm. or assimilate into society in some form or another. Uh, Most people had only seen a Native American in a Wild West show or some kind of, you know, circus sideshow or something. And like I said before, they were almost always shown as noble savages. And also at the turn of the 20th century, a new field of study was emerging anthropology mm. or uh, something called salvage anthropology salvage, salvage. anthropology yeah. salvage anthropologists their purpose was to salvage and record the ancient ways of the first americans uh, okay okay and in berkeley there was a new anthropology department and its very first professor was named alfred krober at university of california berkeley oh yes sorry okay. university of california berkeley And their anthropology department was established to ensure the documentation of California Indian languages and cultures. Dr. Krober, 
to do this was seeking a quote-unquote uncontaminated Indian mm-hmm. to study. So early, yeah. What does that even mean? It means they had uh, no uh, exposure to Western yeah. civilization, mm-hmm. I guess? Or Yep, okay. basically an Indian, you know, plucked out of the Yeah, and <laughs> again, by this time, those were, those just virtually didn't, didn't really exist. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this is now the early twentieth century. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it's not that long ago. I know. Well, so early in the morning of August twenty eighth, nineteen eleven, outside of a slaughterhouse near Oroville, California, which is Northern California, dogs were barking. Mm. So the butchers go out there to see what the dogs are barking at, and they see a man crouching near a fence. So, you know, they, they go over to look at him, see what he's doing there, and they see he's naked and, you know, kind of hovering there, shivering. And so they kind of toss a apron at him <laughs> to <laughs> cover himself. Put that on, for God's sake. And then they call the sheriffs. They don't know what to do with him. So the sheriffs come over. They approach the man with their guns drawn, thinking he might be some dangerous madman or something. Obviously unarmed. Nothing ever changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the man didn't resist or anything. Let them handcuff him and take him wherever they were going to take him. Hmm. So when they bring him inside to the sheriff, he looks like a Native American. He's very skinny, very scared, exhausted. His hair had been like singed very close to his scalp. Hmm. And he didn't speak any English. And couldn't understand, you know, they could tell he couldn't understand anything they were saying. So they took him to the jail and they put him in a cell just so they could figure out what else to do with him. By later on that morning, townspeople were starting to arrive because the word gets around, you know, the the sheriff's got caught some. I mean, I'm probably. Well, they were assuming he was an Indian. So this was that would be pretty amazing. Yeah, it'd be a big deal. Hadn't met any quote unquote wild. Native Americans right. in California that, that people were, were in contact with in, in a very long time, decades, I imagine. But apparently it seems like, you know, the sheriffs would just let the people in to, well, to wander yeah. by the cell because they said they would come in and watch him eat beans and donuts. <laughs> but <laughs> so donuts. they figured there was a lot of interest, so they kind of need felt like they needed to protect him too. Yeah. So the sheriff called the Bureau of Indian Affairs, probably to say, what do I do? What do we do with this guy? Mm-hmm. And they invited people to come in to, to try to talk to him, see if they could figure out what language he understood. So there must have been Native Americans living, you know, assimilated into their community somehow because they brought in some Native Americans, some Mexicans, and Chinese, I sure. guess, okay. just in case. Let's cover our bases. We don't know exactly what he's going to speak. But he, so they came in and tried to talk to him. He couldn't understand any of them. Crap! I think that's melee. I'm not sure. Let's <laughs> see if we can find any. So he was he was able to communicate using gestures. Here's what he communicated. Don't ask me how because it seems like it would have been very difficult. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> he had come from the north. Really. He had three companions, but two of them drowned, and one was eaten by coyotes. Okay. Honestly, except for the eaten by coyotes, I think I can do that. Yeah, drowning and from the north, you, totally. You point to the north, you say, come, you show three fingers, you're walking, maybe you do the walking thing. Three, you know, yeah, people. Yeah, three people of you. You show swimming, and then go, like I'm dead, and then another swimming, like you I'm dead. You stick your tongue out to the side. Something like that. And you're then the dead. last guy, you, like... You make like barking noises. I know coyotes don't bark, but you know what I mean. Howling noises, yeah. and but this is. It we, must have been a fun game of charades, though. Does <laughs> <laughs> the topic for for this guy? Yeah, not so probably much. not I that know. fun. Well, and his, remember, I said his hair was singed very close to his scalp. The reason for that was it was closely cut because that's what they do when they're in mourning. Uh, so he was in mourning. I didn't know that. Okay. Well, probably because all of his companions died, mm-hmm. and that he's all alone. He's the last of his people. Wow. Oh. By north, do you mean north of where they of were? Of Oroville. Okay, so yeah. still California? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. He was polite. People forget in California, even from California, yes. there's a shit ton of California. Above uh, California us. is still in the north. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People mean, don't it, acknowledge after, it like, ever. After the Bay Area or after Sacramento, there is a ton of California There's left a nice over. chunk. Yeah. You don't think about it unless you're driving to Oregon. Then no you think about it. And Oroville is like northeast of San Francisco, right? Yes, north of Sacramento. <laughs> but yeah. still, it's still... Mm, 
Northern? hour and a half or more north of Sacramento. It's it's a long way. Yeah. Up there. Oh shit. And then there's tons more after that. Yeah. Yeah. There is. Yep. So anyway, he was polite and friendly. And remember, I talked about Professor Krober, the first professor of anthropology at UC Berkeley. Sure. Well, he had seen a newspaper article about this man found in near Oroville. And he had already known that that there had been a tribe in the area. It was encountered in 1908. Mm. A surveying party came across four natives, and the natives like kind of escaped and hid while the surveying party was there. But, of course, because they would, the surveying party took tools and artifacts from their camp. Oh, my God. And But they didn't. Pay them. Uh, encounter That's stealing. Well, of course, but, <laughs> they, <laughs> and, okay. but they didn't encounter the Native Americans again, so they just left. The so, four Native Americans walked into a liquor store. I've never seen these bottles. You just take some of this stuff. Why yeah, not? yeah. So anyway, Krober knew that there had been, you know, some tribe in the area. So he thought maybe this individual was part of them. Mm-hmm. So he sent a telegram to the sheriff, wanting to confirm the story that he read in the newspaper that they had this individual, and they did. So he sent one of his colleagues, anthropologist T.T. Waterman, to go and see who this Native American was. The T.T.? Tiny Tim, little known. <laughs> I know. I don't know what his name it's was. Tiny it Tim. Just T.T. T.T. I'm pretty sure it's Tiny Tim, but go ahead. So in 1910, T.T. Waterman had led an expedition to that area where the surveying party had seen the tribe in 1908 to try to find them. Couldn't find them. But he did find incontrovertible evidence of their existence in a wild state. Mm. Hmm. So he knew that they had existed. So Waterman gets there. Poop, by the way, was that incontrovertible evidence, I believe. Poop? poop. I don't think so. But so when Waterman got there, he read a list of words in various tribal languages to the Native American, probably still in the jail. Mm. He didn't understand any of them. Until finally, Waterman said a word which means yellow pine, and um, that was like the wood that he like of the bench that he was sitting on. Mm-hmm. Siwini was the word, and it's a Yana word. Mm. Mm. So he kind of understood it. So they thought, "Yay!" So <laughs> is that what they said, Gary? Yeah. Yay! Yay! <laughs> he knows Yano. Yana. 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 So they sent for a Yana person. So. Uh, they found a man named Sam Botwe, who was living in Reading. Well, we know that. Asked him to come down and try to translate for the man in the jail. They tried their communication. Yeah. With, it was strained and difficult, but Sam was able to figure out that the man was from the Yahi tribe. And it turned out that Krober was searching for the Yahi that was the southernmost tribe of the Yana Indians oh. ever since he had found out about the surveying party coming across okay. them. Basically, as we know from the history of our horrible country, okay. <laughs> as white populations grew, we kind of murdered, encroached <laughs> on the native territories which often led to their deaths from disease and massacres and removing of them, putting them in, mm-hmm. in reservations. So Yeah, there are, lo- there are thousands of tiny trail of tears all over the country. It wasn't mm-hmm. just the big yes. one yeah. in the Cherokee. Yeah. So the Yana Indians were located in the Sierras near a lot of the early mines. Uh, so as oh. we know, in 1849... Is that right? Gold rush, you mean? Yeah. yeah. The gold rush. So. Is there anything valuable on your land? Mm-hmm. And be careful how you answer yeah. that. You might want to lie. Yes. So there, at this time, they thought there were about 400 Yahi in the area when gold was first discovered. After a series of massacres, they were reduced to under 100. Jesus. At the hands of the early miners and settlers. In probably in the 1860s and 70s. Or probably the 1850s. Yeah. 60s even. Yeah. Plus, they lost a lot of their f- food sources because the white people's uh, livestock depleted the native mm. plants and everything. And then the mines, they ended up pouring silt 
and mm -hmm. you know stuff into their streams, which reduce their salmon yeah. population. Okay. And then, of course, good old disease that we gave good them. Good old disease. Mm -hmm. So by 1872, anthropologists and Indian Affairs officials thought there were probably only around a dozen surviving yahi in the area, which would be this person's tribe. So the yahi were a sub, I don't know, tribe of the yana. Of the yana. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's the other thing about, I don't know if you're going to talk about this or not, but California has an incredibly complicated tribal system. Yeah. There weren't these, mm -hmm. these large interrelated tribes like there were in Mid Plains Indians yeah. and even lots of areas. I mean, you know, super complicated with, with lots of different languages and very yeah. small clans and tribes and sub-tribes. It, it was just a, ton, a lot of Native Americans, but much more diverse and complicated than most places in the North yeah. America. Yeah. Well, so in 1865, when... I'm going to call him our Indian because we That's don't know terrible. who he is yet. No, I should I mean, the subject of our story. <laughs> there we go. When he, Bob. In 1865, he was about six, and this was when his father and 40 others were killed in the Three Knolls Massacre. They even named their massacre. Yes, they did. It was, God. Yeah. So the remaining Yahi escaped to a remote and kind of safe spot in the hills, and... Four cattlemen using dogs eventually found them. They killed about half of the Yahi. Why? Yep. Jesus Christ, man. So You're the just rest murderers. Gotta finish murderers. Yep. So the rest had to go further up into the hills. Oh god. So the the surviving Yahi from from these massacres went into a period of concealment that lasted about forty years. Jeez. Where they so they're actively avoiding mm -hmm. Western mm -hmm. India. Okay, and that's getting increasingly harder to, harder to do. Yeah. Yep. So the last five Yahi, which would include our person, built a village on a densely thicketed canyon ledge 500 feet above Deer Creek. And they called it Grizzly Bear's Hiding Place because Grizzly had <laughs> once had its den there. Yeah. So then... The land surveyors stumbled across them in 1908. So at this point, it was our person, his mother, a sister, and an uncle. And then in 1911, shortly before he ended up at the slaughterhouse, his mother died. Mm. Mm. And so he was the only one. Was she eaten by coyotes, or was it someone else? No, I don't think so. That I think that was one of the other ones. Yeah. That is very sad. Yes. It is. So, on September 4th, 1911, Krober got permission from the Bureau of Indian Affairs to bring the Native American to San Francisco. So, this was about a week or so after he appeared at the slaughterhouse in Oroville. He was off to San Francisco. There he was left to fend for himself. <laughs> no. They immediately took him to the Museum of Anthropology. Well, no, actually, I shouldn't say that. They didn't. I think they probably took him to the college. and um, They stuck him in a diorama and told him to keep really still during... Just stand there. <laughs> no. So, Krober and Waterman, I mean, you have to imagine, they're probably super excited to have their... <laughs> really stoked. Yep. Yes, man. We found one. Yep. And so, they determined that he was a person of intelligence, but they were still, they were having a hard time communicating with him. But they didn't think he would be able to survive in the city without their protection. Like you said, they couldn't well, yeah. just turn him loose. Okay. They figured he was probably about, had the abilities of like a six-year-old child. Okay, hmm. what does that even mean? Yeah, how do you even gauge <laughs> that? A little offended by that? I have no idea. That doesn't make Super it, that offensive. makes no sense. He yeah. clearly has been surviving out in the wild, actively being hunted. In the city of San Francisco. Well, in the city, that's, that's, a, that that's the weirdest matter. translation I've heard in my life. Yeah. What metric is this? Yeah, I know. Let's put your <laughs> ass in the Arabian desert. You're a three-year-old. Exactly. Yeah. Just, just say he obviously wasn't equipped to survive in an urban area. Yeah, but he's still no better than from, the rest yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, we're both pretty offended by that statement. Yeah. Okay, well, it's not my statement. It's I, I, but you still read it. Yeah, you did. <laughs> you feel like, okay. You feel, I, I feel like when he said, and they were super excited to have him, you were excited too about it. <laughs> so He wore a suit 
But he always had bare feet. Good. When they were initially, you know, taking him, they took him to the train station to then go to San Francisco. He tried to hide from the train. I because who wouldn't? It freaked him out. He didn't loud. He didn't understand what the tracks were. I hide from them now. Mm -hmm. Do you? Don't no, I don't. (laughs) She does. She hunkers down when she sees a train on TV. She hunkers down. She gets a little. I don't like the sound of them, but I don't hide from them. So of course, when they got him to San Francisco, immediately vaudeville promoters no. Stop them now. Wanting to put him in their shows. Ugh. That's disgusting. They offered Waterman as much as $2,000 for him. Well, I mean, now we're talking, don't be, him. don't be rash. That's Hold disgusting. on. It's $2,000. Okay. How Some, much money is that now times? Pretty good chunk of change. Yeah. Like a million dollars? Timmy, <laughs> Timmy Tim Waterman can use that kind of money. <laughs> His name was actually, I, I, I looked it up, Timothy Tim. Tim. It's huh? weird. He had two, Timothy Tim. It was, it was a weird name. <laughs> but Timothy Tim. Some others wanted to, quote, borrow him well, for an exhibit, basically, one of the human zoos. Who ha- that's happened. Uh, you've been at a party and say, hey, can I borrow your wife for a second? I just got to show her something. Oh that's that's what happens. Mm-hmm. And the American Phonograph Company wanted him to make records. Want, they wanted to make records about him and by him. So they I wanted s- to record him. I smell Edison behind that company. Is that yeah. an Edison company? Oh, I don't know. American Phonograph Company? Mm-hmm. I'm looking it up. It has Edison vibes That's, all over that it. That totally has an Edison vibe. Well, Krober and Waterman Didn't. immediately declined. Good. Good for them. But also, reporters started showing up. Those they paid, let them for a quarter per interview. <laughs> Wanting to write articles about him and... Obviously, they wanted to know his name so they could write their articles about him. They didn't know his name. Kevin. <laughs> because, obviously, they really couldn't communicate that well. But also, in his culture, he wasn't able to tell them his name because they're not allowed to speak their own name to somebody who didn't already know it. Isn't that interesting? It is interesting. Interesting. So they literally never found out what his real name was. Really? So wow. Krober named him Ishi, which means man. In, in, in his language? In his language or in, in, in Yana? Or, uh, yeah, Yana. I don't know exactly which Native American language. Ishi means what One again? Man. 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 Real creative. So Super his name creative. is now yeah. Ishi. So that was September, early ooh, September, ooh. that they brought him to San Francisco. I would have called him the Omega Man. He's the last of his kind. No? Sure. Heston? Anyone? No. Omega. In October 1911, the Museum of Anthropology opened. And this is where they take Ishii to live. People in a diorama. It, in no, the not museum? in a diorama. Yeah. There were, they had rooms. They had, you know, like caretakers and stuff like that. Oh. There were people that lived, you know, stayed there. Okay. Hmm. I'm on board. You were worried so. that's like a, like a janitor's closet or something like that? Oh, I was just worried that they... You know, we're going to put them on display. No. Well, they did put them on display, but he got to live. He got to live in a place. He got a bedroom. And people kept coming to see him. He was big news. Obviously, there were lots of articles written about him. People just wanted to see him and meet him and shake hands with him. I mean, it sounds gross. It is gross. But... I want to meet him. Yeah. I mean, people were genuinely... But what interesting. Yeah, not to gawk at yeah. him, but yeah. to really learn yeah. about him and what drives to, him, what to, motivates him. <laughs> to learn about him and his culture yes. and yeah. whatever, sure, help him survive, mm-hmm. yeah, but I'm sure that's not why most of these people were coming And make to him see a him. sweet book offer. <laughs> well, so Professor Krober told the newspapers to go ahead and report that he and Ishii would be available at the museum on Sunday afternoons. From 2 o'clock to 4.30. They had office hours. Yeah, literally. For like the next several weeks. It was only two and a half hours, so it wasn't like, you know, Uh all day long or anything. Well, for the next six months, probably about 24,000 people would visit the museum to see him. So the way they did it, if only a few people were there at a time, they would actually get to meet him informally, you know, shake his hand, whatever. If there were kind of a bigger crowd there, then Krober would basically give a little presentation, you know, speak to them and, and try to translate for Ishii as best he could. So a typical Sunday, they would have demonstrations of Ishii 
making stone tools, mm. using a bow, an arrow, or weaving fishnet, fishnets, fishnets. I was thinking stockings. stockings. <laughs> it was stockings, actually. It was a, it was yeah. a kinky tribe. But, uh, Fire building. Did anybody like put an apple in their mouth and let you shoot it? No. Yeah, that would have been that would have been ballsy. Did they dress him? I'm assuming they gave him Western clothes to wear. Yeah, he wore a suit. Okay. Yeah. And he wore they, jeans and a t-shirt. He was casual. They would display some tribal artifacts. On one special occasion in January of 1912, they had Ishii pitted against a visiting Yuki Indian named Ralph Moore okay. in what? a gambling competition. A gambling, because a traditional Native American <laughs> ritual the, was that craps. That is terrible. That's who, who do you think invented blackjack? Native Americans, lacrosse and blackjack, the two things that were invented by Native oh, Americans. Yep. Is the lacrosse thing true, Fact. or did you make that That's up? That's true. That's cool. Well, Ishii's presence at the museum was huge for ticket sales. As yeah. You know. Oh, so wait, they were charging for this? Well, to get into the museum, yeah. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. But they, were they charging for the office hours every Sunday? I don't think so. Oh. Maybe. you know I what? Know. They should have, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, put All it in, his, in like a fund for Ishii, exactly. absolutely. Well, they said Ishii has not been a bad advertisement for the museum. Mm -mm, mm -mm. He ran up the attendance from 30 per week to more than 3,000. Damn. Damn. Some weeks. Yeah. A little sad that museums get 30 a week. I know. I love like, A know. week. I love museums. Yeah. On Saturdays and Sunday. And I saw on Tuesday, Monday through Friday, like a person. Yeah, probably. Well, so clearly he was kind of being exploited by the museum. A little bit. Yeah, I think. But but he wasn't a captive. He could mm -mm. Well, come and go, kind of. choice. I mean, he had his it's, hours. It's literally like going to an alien world. Yeah, pretty literally. Pretty much. Yeah. Would you say, you know what? I'm going to strike out of my own. I'm going to see yeah. how I can do it here in your strange world of tubes That I don't and understand at all, yeah. Well, language I can't understand. He did go out and explore San Francisco, but he was most interested in parks and open spaces. Sure. And he frequently visited a cave on Mount Sutro, which was above the museum. Do you know where Mount Sutro is? San Francisco. I've, I've no never idea heard of it. I've yeah. never actually. He liked going to Golden. Wait, he was he, the museum was in Berkeley or San Francisco? I forgot. San Francisco. San Francisco. San Francisco. Okay, the his. Okay, got it. But it was run by. It must have been. I don't know. To be honest with you, I thought it was San Francisco. I. That's what I gathered from. Yeah. That's what I. I from what you said. Yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah. But it's it's run by the university. I think. Uh, Berkeley. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. He enjoyed the bison enclosure at hmm. the Golden Gate Park. He learned how to ride the streetcar. Wait, there was a bison enclosure, enclosure? at Golden Gate Park? Yeah. Huh. Isn't there a zoo in the Golden Gate Park? Or wasn't there? Uh, I don't know. Well, there must have been if there was a bison enclosure. It, Maybe they just had some Yes, bison. Mount Citro is in San Francisco. It's a still reserve in San Francisco, which yeah. is amazing since that is an incredibly densely populated, yeah. fairly small city. Yeah. Love well, San Francisco. He would re he would frequently visit a cave there, and hmm. he, like I said, he learned how to use the streetcar and he learned the ferry system. Nice. And he put on forty pounds. Damn. Over the time he was there, he because got a little... he decided he liked donuts, donuts. and ice cream sodas. Oh, well, so they but were thinking about. Yeah, I hope he got healthy. as much as he possibly wanted. And you yes. know, he learned no how he. Learned how to communicate. He learned how to go to the grocery store. He, you know, he... By himself? Was he yeah. running around town? Uh -huh. Okay. Yep. Did he learn uh, English? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did he learn okay. it? Okay. Somewhat. Fluently or just sort of no. passable? Okay. No. That's tough. Yeah. Yeah. Very tough. He did linguistic and ethnographic work with Waterman and Krober. He was very friendly and would wave to anyone who spoke to him. Oh. That's sweet. At the time, all Native Americans were wards of the government. How oh fucked up is that? Oh, my God. Wards of the government? Yep. Yeah. I mean, As you know from episode... <laughs> uh, the, in Oklahoma, the, where I they know. stole the oil from the Osage Indians, they, yeah. a, a big part of that was them being... Uh, that, that was enabled by them being wards of the government yeah. and couldn't take I, care of themselves, all, even though they were rich. Yeah. Who was Thomas Jefferson? Is that the guy? Andrew Jackson. Yeah, I hate yeah. him. I want to kill Andrew Everybody Jackson. Everybody hates Andrew Jackson. I want to go back in time and kill him. Okay. Violently. For what That's, he did. Well, actually, a few months after Ishii's arrival at the museum, a member of the government, probably the Bureau of Indian Affairs, came and told Ishii if he wanted to, he was free to go back to Deer Creek, hmm. which is weird. Why would they let him just 
go live on his own. I guess they didn't care Not by like that him. point. It's his choice, He's though. a grown, yeah. I mean, he's a grown-ass he man. But he's a ward of the government. Yeah, but yeah, they, that's how they we were the government, but on the they, reservations. On reservations, yeah. yeah. But they get, uh, Native Americans could, could always could leave those reservations later on. By this point, is they're not, you know, there had been loosened up, I think. Yeah, I don't know. A little bit. They didn't have to stay on the reservation. There are plenty of Native Americans yeah. living in cities and things like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, because, I mean, they told him he could go back to Deer Creek if he wanted to, but obviously he'd be all by himself, so yeah, no. Or go to a reservation to be with, so with he could live with other Native tribes. Americans. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he said, no, I will live like the white man for the remainder of my days. I wish to stay here. I like gambling and donuts. I am literally <laughs> going to be living like the white man. <laughs> and I don't know if he said it exactly. I don't know if this is a direct quote. I feel like you were trying to do an accent there, Carrie, and it's a little offensive. And really? You see, you see Carrie's Native American accent right no. there? Yeah, no. It was I like, will grow old in this house, and yeah. it is here I will stay. She's still doing it. This is. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I'm not sure this is a direct quote. And the, and the museum is going, uh there's a little thing about rent, bro. Yeah, you can live for free. Yeah, the yeah. whole 300 a week, that's gotten down to 60, so you're not that big a deal anymore. Was he always a draw for his entire, I mean, how long did that last? His being a big, big draw where people were coming out and the, and the museum attendance was goosed up? Well, I don't know. It said that what I the 24,000 was for like the next six months. Okay. So we'll, we'll find out exactly how long he's there and everything. Well, so... I told you there were rooms for him mm-hmm. at the museum. They actually had rooms set up for visiting Indians, interestingly enough. Hmm. And it was in one of these rooms where they just let Ishi oh. live. Hmm. You know, he would just give him one of the rooms. He was asked to pay no rent. Well, that's good. good. You know, the whole genocide and all. Yeah, I think they owe him one. A little bit. Exactly. And they gave him basically this free home. He got free medical care at the university hospital. And they gave him a little job. Mm. They put him to work caring for the Egyptian room of the museum. And he also assisted the janitor in other parts of the building. And for this, he earned $25 a month. I and he just got to keep it? Yeah. That was his money. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take your rented food out of that. Here's That's $27. You're actually in the hole every month. So. <laughs> you owe us. And kind of also in return, he was basically their subject yeah. of study. I mean, they wanted to study him. And they did. I imagine they're what, learning more of his language, learning more of, of mm-hmm. the habits. That, uh, and They probably learned. So all that stuff you said, they probably learned that over a fairly lengthy period of time, I'm assuming, you know, about the history of his tribe, what happened to them, the timeline. Okay. Yeah. They analyzed everything from the size of his head, Mm. which, as we know, they... They were really big into that kind of nonsense back in Mm -hmm. those days. Yep. To his tool-making abilities, they recorded his traditional songs on wax cylinders. Do we have that? Can we do an audio play now? Not... Yeah. Really? Mm -hmm. Let's do it. Let's listen to it, listeners. Listeners, what do you think? Here's a little snippet of the great entertainer, Ishii. So that was Ishii singing a song. What do you think? Well, two things, Carrie. One, amazing that we have sound recording from over a century ago. And two... He sounds a hell of a lot better than Jennifer Simpson. Agree? Ha ha. You mean Ashley Simpson. Same. (laughs) All right, back to the show. We do know a little bit about Ishii's views on things. He thought running water and toilets were good and clever, because they are. Agree, agree. A solid invention. He Mm -hmm. thought doorknobs, safety pins, and typewriters were hilarious. (laughs) Interesting. <laughs> Doorknobs? Yes. Okay, you know, if you think about it. If you think about it, that's If the norm is a flap yeah. on a tent, then yeah, doorknobs kind of weird. Yeah. But type, typewriters, yeah. You know what? They're pretty inefficient. They're I can very see that. silly. I don't know why safety pins are hilarious. Safety pins, <laughs> agree to disagree, Ishii. I think safety <laughs> pins are a wonderful invention. Telephones were amusing, but less interesting than penny whistles and kaleidoscopes. Hmm. Kaleidoscopes are super interesting. They are pretty mm-hmm. cool. He if thought, he had an Etch-a-Sketch back then, oh my God, would have shit himself. He thought office buildings and airplanes were less impressive than mountains and hawks. Ah, uh, hugely agree with that. Yeah, I agree. 100%. Slinkies were more impressive than both, though. So. 
Mountains are way more interesting. Yep. And the white man's most important inventions were matches and glue. Matches and glue. Mm-hmm. Very Sourceful. Matches. I mean, think about it. Yeah. Matches. Can you imagine? Can you imagine starting a fire without matches? I would die. <laughs> I'd be I'd, a goner. Yeah. Yep. And he thought they were better than gas and electricity. Hmm. He's got a point. Because you think mm. about it from his perspective. From yes. his perspective, yeah. They're, they're sort of He's, one step up, not 10 steps up, but yeah. gas and electricity are pretty. He's thinking pretty, about like sustainability, mm, yeah. the yeah. environment. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. Yep. Yeah. So one day, a doctor at the local medical school named Saxton Pope. Great. Let's stop and appreciate that name for a second, Carrie. Saxton Pope. Pope. I'm writing that I'm down. I'm naming my firstborn son that. that. is tremendous. Saxton. Okay. I'm going to remind you of that. Saxton. Saxton Pope. Saxton. That's, that's phenomenal. S-A-X-T-O-N. Uh-huh. Nice. That's great. That well, great. he saw Ishii making a bow. Who was he again? A doctor at the local medical school. Okay. He saw Ishii making a bow and was absolutely fascinated. He wanted to learn the technique and the folklore of archery from someone who had lived oh, by Oh, I thought he was wrapping a present. And I thought, so he was, <laughs> I misunderstood, I'm sorry. <laughs> He's just such a So dork. he was doing bow and arrow. Yes. Mm-hmm. Got it. So soon, Saxton Pope and Ishii were, I mean, Ishii was teaching him. Oh. They were practicing together. They would spend hours. Wow. Saxton Pope patented that bow and made millions. millions. And gave Ishii nothing. Nothing. They were, so they were soon like besties. C- yeah. Total. And Total kind of came, came up with their own Party kind of Vegas. pigeon language so that they could communicate. Oh. He has a friend that makes He's me happy. He's got a BFF. He's mm-hmm. got a bestie. Yeah. And had a, they had a oh, crazy weekend in Vegas too. <laughs> and I we think. We don't talk about it. Uh. Like you said, Saxon Pope patented stuff. I don't think he did that, but he, I think he Wait. did write books. I oh, think okay. he did write about okay. it. Okay. With uh, that no, name? Yeah, you got to get that on the cover. You book. have to tell people about stuff if your name is Saxton. Give me 300 blank pages by Saxton Pope. I'd probably buy that book. If my name was Saxton Pope, I would never shut up. You guys are no. weird. No, That's a cool Ladies and gentlemen, Saxton Pope. I'm going to that concert. I don't even know what he does. People had way cooler names back then. People Names are boring. They really did. T.T. Waterman. Yes. T.T. Waterman was a great name. Timothy Tim. Well, anyway, they were genuine friends. Good. Obviously. So by 1914, Ishii had a vocabulary of 500 to 600 English mm. words. Not bad. That's probably similar to One mine. of which was, two of which were safety pin. Yeah. <laughs> he could speak English way better than any of the museum staff could speak his language. Yeah. Shit, yeah. He greeted people with hello or how to do. How to do. And he would never say goodbye. Instead, he'd say, Ciao. you stay, I go. You stay, I go. Hey, you know what? That's We've really had a good sweet. talk. Um, I'm done here. <laughs> you stay. You stay. I'm going I'm, I'm I'm to leave. I'm going to dip. <laughs> he never learned to read, but he could recognize the letters and numbers to, uh, like, to help him identify streetcars and stuff like that. Okay. When can we try you stay, I go in real life? I'm going to try that. When I'm just Kids do that all the time. Extricate yourself from a conversation. You know what? You stay, you stay I go. I go. It's a Native American. I actually thing. have a really, really good idea. How about you stay right here, and I'm gonna leave. <laughs> we'll leave. I'm gonna leave I'm this right place. now. You do not follow me. Though. <laughs> Don't stay. call or text no. either. No, 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 no. <laughs> In spring of 1914, he took Saxton Pope, Dr. Krober, and T.T. Waterman to his old grand. Wow. <laughs> you I mean, hear these wow. names? That's, I mean, what a what a, what a foursome. <laughs> Ishi. Krober, Saxton Pope, and, and Timothy Tim Waterman <laughs> all hanging out, going partying <laughs> on the town. Mm-hmm. No, they went to the Mill Creek area. Oh, no. And they got fun, after it. Well, good. no, no. Oh. It was she's like, gonna buy first round? You stay, I go, I go. to the bar <laughs> to get some vodka shots. <laughs> There were a lot of painful memories for Ishii. Yeah. As one might imagine. It's where his family was from. Correct. And it's Mm. where they died. And he was left all alone. He wanted to go back to the museum. Yeah, I don't blame him. They had planned to make other trips back. But then the war broke out. The World Which War one? one? That would be World War One. Got okay, it. 1914. We were, uh, there. Not for us, though. We weren't fighting yet for quite some time. Well, we joined. They, they were never able really? to go. Really? Mm-hmm. Right at the end. Pretty much. Damn. You know, we kind of did one of those things like, I'm going to help you with the dishes when there's like two dishes left to wash. Yes, that's we nice. like to do that. <laughs> I'm good at that. At what point does this turn into a podcast about Bigfoot? Because this is Bigfoot country where he Never. lived. 
little disappointed. A little disappointed. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. You also look shocked. Like, well, I mean, come on. He must have. They'd ever ask him about Big... I mean, he must have seen. They probably were friends with Sasquatch, I'm I assuming. think Bigfoot was very kind and helpful to indigenous tribes. Absolutely. I'm sure of it. I feel like they respected one another, but Bigfoot does not respect no, no. Western civilization nope. as he should. Assholes and trucks. You know, with guns, gonna yeah. No, no, he's not gonna. He does not like that. Yeah, or she, whichever. As you might have imagined, Ishii did not have immunity to the white man's diseases. You know, I was thinking that when they're bringing people in every Sunday, I'm thinking, Mm -hmm. okay, is this a great idea? Yeah, yeah. So early on, you know, he arrived there in early September 1911. In November 1911, he was hospitalized mm. with a respiratory infection. They did test for TB, and it was negative. Good. So about a year later, or then, a little bit less than a year later. When he had gonorrhea, they he had some explaining to do. But, <laughs> How uh, did you get eventually. that? He got pneumonia. Oh. And then in September of 1912, he was hospitalized for a few days with abdominal pain. Mm. And Donuts. Then, yeah. He had to poop really yeah. bad. Possibly. Then in December of 1914, he developed a cough that was eventually diagnosed oh, no. as tuberculosis. Oh, no. <laughs> Damn it. And this is pre-penicillin, so mm-hmm. there's nothing you can do except make them go to Arizona and pretend that's going to help. And they put a blanket around their shoulders and they wheel them around and they, ha- they give them the airs and shit like that. They're still going to die. That makes me so sad. When was penicillin invented? Quickly. I'm going to say 30s, <laughs> 20s, 30s, 30s, okay. 40s, 40s, maybe? maybe 40s. Isn't it? Is it truth from mold? They got it from it mold. Was, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. First, yeah, penicillin. I Solid. mean, I don't think penicillin existed when my mother was a small, small child. Yeah, but that was 1847, so that's not. <laughs> <laughs> Your mother knew George Washington. Well, boy, did she. Well, if you know what I'm saying, and that's what I'm saying. Are you looking at when penicillin was yes, invented? Yes, I am. Good, 1928. Uh I was from. at St. Mary's Hospital, London. Alexander Fleming. I knew that. I knew it was Fleming. Yeah. I knew that. Well, what was invented after my mom was? <laughs> a lot of stuff. <laughs> a lot of stuff. <laughs> the computer, <laughs> the hovercraft, something medical. Uh, still a lot of stuff, Gary. Ton AIDS. Stuff. It's not really hmm. medical, I guess, but. A ton of vaccines. Yeah, a lot of vaccines, coronavirus. Oh, that. So many things, Gary. But something so like things. when she had her tonsils out, she couldn't have it because it didn't exist yet. What would it be? <laughs> Tylenol, Gary, ibuprofen, yeah. oxycontin. Um, a lot of the oxycontin. <laughs> she wanted it, believe me, but she could not have it because oh, it had not been invented yet. But I would have oh, been like Rush Limbaugh. Novocaine. It wasn't her tonsillectomy. Novocaine. It was for dental work. And she stuff. was alive without Novocaine. Yes. Wow. That's she a really. Sad oh existence. my God. Yep. She was alive when barbers were doing surgery. <laughs> <laughs> Novocaine. Can you? I could. Oh, I, God. So he got sick. And he spent some time in the hospital at this time when he was diagnosed with TB, 62 days to be exact. But he told his friends he wanted to go home to the museum. <laughs> so they He's t- going to die, isn't he? They took Thanks him a lot, home. Carrie. What? And they gave him a sunny room mm. in the museum where he stayed. So this was December of 1914. Mm-hmm. So he, he, he rallied. He was so, you know... People with TB don't die immediately. They Unless do they stuff. have a galloping TB, then you die in a couple months usually. He didn't Remember, have the as we know from yes. episode, ah, yes. <laughs> the ghost, the witch. No, wait. I have no fucking clue. The vampire thing know. in Massachusetts where they yeah. had TB and they thought they were vampires. I can't yeah. remember. Because that, that, the gal, that's the hemorrhagic one, right? Yeah, that's where, where the brother, I think, had it and he died. It's bad. One of the family members had it. TB None. and it's like three months later they're dead. But yeah. most of the time, yeah, you can live for years. Yes. Satine. Robbie Lewis Stevenson, the mm-hmm. author, had TB for years and years and years. Yep. Satine had she she died. Satine, sure, a fictional character. <laughs> died, yeah. From Moulin Rouge, <laughs> the Moulin movie. Rouge. Mm-hmm. Well, so like I said, they gave him a sunny room. You know, they they were were friends. They took care of him. They made they, you know, they wanted him to be comfortable and have a nice life. That's nice. Saxton Pope, though, could not deal with it. I don't it. love names that end in T-O-N, but Saxton is a cool one. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. So he stayed there at his own request until sometime in March 2000, 1916. Then he got very sick, and mm-hmm. they had to take him back to the hospital. 
for a little while where he did die. Oh. Sorry to inform That's you. God okay. damn it. It's no okay. longer living. Why did God you tell me this you. story? We didn't know. We thought he could be really old. He died March 25th. Hmm. 1916. That is devastating. What the? What's the rest of this evening going to be about? Bigfoot? <laughs> Are we pivoting? I see a lot of notes. So is there some Bigfoot going on? No. Oh, he had $369.52. And that money was left, left in a secret savings account and is now $1.4 million. <laughs> nice. But he has nice? no relatives and ancestors to give it to. Well, part of this was from his... His little salary, Mm -hmm. but he also made money by selling picture postcards of himself to museum goers and gambling. Mm -hmm. I don't think he he beat the shit out of that Modoc guy one year. (laughs) But you know, he also spent money on things that that he liked. He was terrified of the concept of a human autopsy Mm. and did not want one. He thought. Why did they tell him about the concept of a human autopsy? (laughs) He probably learned about it. Okay. I don't know. Was that a museum? By the way, if you die, we're going to cut you up. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on here. I don't know. You stay, I go, because I'm not getting cut. Well, he did, because he thought it would tear away the body from the spirit Mm -hmm. after death. So, and he knew he was ill. He knew he was probably going to die. So they probably had conversations about these things. Can we cut you up? Can Can we have your liver? And he said, no. So before he died, he requested that his body be burned to liberate his soul. So he explained to his friends at the museum his culture and what they do after death. What if he was murdered? Would they have had to have had an autopsy then? A suspicious death? I don't know. I I don't know either. Was he murdered? Krober. Is this going to be a mysterious murder episode? No, because he died of TB. Did he carry? I mean, one could say he was murdered Hmm. because... Oh, no, it's a different yeah. thing. Than I he so was anyway. murdered by the white man. Yes. But he's also saved by the white man. No. As you recall, he was basically starving. Yeah, the white he man was killed his fucking family. Severely yeah. emaciated. Yeah. Yeah, okay. No. If the white man didn't fuck with his family, he would have lived True. happily True in that. his tribe mm-hmm. and not gotten TB. We're not a big fan of Carrie's pro imperialism <laughs> attitude here in this episode. Really pro colonization here. Krober was. Leaving the country. He was going to Europe for some reason. So he wrote a letter instructing the people at the museum, basically, if Ishii dies mm-hmm. in my absence, we need to honor his wishes. He basically said he was on Ishii's side regarding autopsy and wanting to be cremated. And he said, we're his friends and we're backing him up. And he said, science could go to hell. Whoa. Hell? Pretty yes. ballsy for the yeah. day. He basically now, said, of course, every <laughs> Trump voter says the same thing. But <laughs> and he then. also thought there wasn't a whole lot of scientific knowledge to be gained by doing an autopsy on him after he died. And he thought they had plenty of skeletons of Native Americans and yeah. nobody ever did anything to study them. Yeah, so, that wasn't a huge deal yet. But now, not well, a few decades later, that, the whole remains would be a big, 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 yes. big deal. But he thought it was more important to honor Ishii's Absolutely. wishes, mm-hmm. Which, mm-hmm. which he was right. So Ishii was cremated, as he wanted to be, with one of his bows, five arrows, some acorn meal, beads, tobacco, and obsidian flakes. Nice. And $20,000. <laughs> However, his death and Krober's letter mm-hmm. kind of got crossed no. in the mail. Stop it, Carrie. If they have an autopsy at this point, I'm going to be very angry. They did an autopsy. No. Son of a bitch. Mm-hmm. I hate God. them so much. And they removed and preserved Ishii's brain. Ugh. They did a lot of that too back then, yeah. didn't they? Keeping brains around in formaldehyde. It, who no it one. It was knows. weird because the next sentence is having no use for the preserved brain. Yeah. Then shit. why did they do it? Did they keep a skull? You know what? But they liked to weigh them, right? They liked to compare oh, yeah. sizes okay. and all that kind well, of then. stuff. So that's I'm sure that's why they did it. But but then after after you take measurements, then what do you do with it? They should have cremated it with his body. But they sure as hell should have. But they didn't. They should have not done it in the first place. Yeah, that's really fucked up. Don't tell up. me they kept a skull. No. Okay. So Krober, when he got back, he offered it to the National Museum, which is now the Smithsonian mm. in Washington, D.C. So His it, brain? It was sent to the Smithsonian. Really? And is it, it was, still there? It was stored in a Smithsonian storage facility in Maryland. 
they discovered it floating in a jar of formaldehyde in 1998. My God. hmm Two years of work by Native American activists and allies to, you know, they f- yeah. found out about it. It took them two years to get his brain repatriated to the closest related tribe remaining in the area, the Redding Rancheria mm. <laughs> and Pitt River Indians. So in August 2000, Ishii's brain was sent back. and It's now in their casino, I believe. Stop no, the casino. So, and they got his remains. They were preserved, or not preserved, but you know, instead of putting it in like a bronze urn or something like that, his friends at the museum put it in like a, a like a simple clay pot, which they probably had discussed with him, and so they they also took those remains in his clay pot mm-hmm. and took everything back to the forests of Northern California. So oh. it's it's near Mount Lassen now. Good. Oh, that's where the reptile people live. But okay, different episode. What? And the inscription on the pottery that held his remains, says Ishii, the last Yana Indian, 1916. And in 1984, Congress established the Ishii Wilderness. Oh. It's 40,000 acres in the Lassen National Forest in northeastern California to honor his memory. We should go. Let's do it. We'll do that on the Weird World Tour. Mm-hmm. Put that on the... Yep. The end. Oh. Well, you brought us up, and then you brought us you, down. You, but then you brought us back us up down. a little bit there with yeah, the National Forest so. named after him. That was nice. You didn't think good. he was going to still be surviving. I thought he'd live a long and Not happy life, today, get married, no. sort of family. Maybe, I thought. Yeah, so he was ba- there for about five years. Yeah, honestly, I'm surprised he lived for five years. Yeah. With all the disease. Mm-hmm. We got lots swirling of disease. Around. Yeah. Yep. Well, that is an amazing story. It really is that... that, that People don't realize, I think generally speaking, people don't realize how not that long ago mm-hmm. these horrific things happened yeah. in the yeah. in the gold mining days. And, and after that, well into the late 19th century, it was not uncommon at all to go out and kill Native Americans in, yeah. in California all the time. If they were somewhere in some valley that you wanted to be, that's what you did. Yeah. People think of these things as crazy distant so long ago. No. And the treatment of indigenous people in America is yeah. still horrific to yeah. this day. Yeah. Well, so not walking only in America, out, yeah. around the world. Yes, true. Yeah. I mean, all of indigenous course. people seem to be. Are you thinking of the Ainu of Japan? Way. I imagine mm-hmm. that, that's um, the the way he just walked out of the wilderness, though, in 1911. There really was a time by then that people just thought that was that day was was long gone. Yeah, where there yeah. were these these quote unquote wild Native Americans, and so it was. I mean, it was a huge. I've read about this a little bit, and it was a major national story when that occurred because he yeah. had they had again they hadn't that kind of thing was basically gone Interesting. In, in the u.s yep and i'll post some pictures okay in a suit gambling throwing dice no. partying with the oh, with saxton and timmy tim <laughs> and dr Krober in vegas saxton that's a that's a good thing we got out of this podcast was that name saxton pope well thank you carrie thank you. for that welcome. story of the last american I don't know if that's a good title or not. No. Not, okay. Well, whatever. We'll, we'll call it something. Okay. I saw this TikTok of this Native American woman, and she said this has happened m- many times in her life where p- white people have been like, you're so exotic looking. Like, you're so beautiful. Where are you from? <laughs> oh, I'm from here, actually. No, but like, you know, where are you from? Here. No, like your family, like your relatives. Like, what's your ethnicity? I Literally, I'm from here. Where are you from? Originally. And people just can't grasp that concept. Yeah. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you, Carrie. Until next time. Bye. This has been Weird World. Thanks for listening. A podcast. I don't know. (laughs) See you. Bye.